friends, welcome back to another episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, a show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend and cheerful undead corpse, Alex Dandino. That's right, guys. Before we start the show, a little business. Uh, we hope you enjoy spending time with our show we enjoy having you here. Uh, if that's the case, we need to ask you a favor. Please, right now, take a second and leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. Quick five-star, quick one sentence about why you Please. dig the show helps us out a lot. For those of you that have been doing it, thank you. We see you. We appreciate it. It really means the world to us. It doesn't take much time, guys, and it's it's just a really easy way to help us out, especially on Apple Podcast again. Much uh, so thank you for that. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist, if you'd like to see the faces that make these voices and some other fun stuff we're working up uh, for the future of our YouTube channel. You can get at us on all your social medias. We're there, too. That's a great way to get a hold of us. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com, with your ideas for movies you'd like to hear covered, new, old, double feature themes, guest host, anything like that. As you guys know... Every December, we stuff your stocking all listener selection month. Uh, submissions are beginning to pile up. So go ahead and get your pick in now. We will do as many as we can. Uh, once we get the suggestions and we rank them from our favorites down and we'll try to do as many as we can. So get in and get in now and bring your best selections. Yes, Alex. I'll tell you how many we won't be doing. 31. So... <laughs> we are at the very end of a grueling haggard it's so funny because tonight we're starting to end uh our last four days of october uh evil dead and i i heard the sadness and depression on that professor's tape recording when he's like ah the book of kendar my wife's a real undead bitch now life is horrible academia is horrible that's kind of how i feel about podcasting I'm like i'm so tired of talking Yes. Having opinions, making theories, doing horrible accents. <laughs> uh, 31 pods of 31 days has been a grueling, but super fucking fun and rewarding oh, uh, adventure blast, we embarked man. on. I can't believe we Thank did you, it. guys. Yeah, well, hey, we've still got four more to go, so don't get cocky. Don't ever tell me the odds, as Han Solo once said. Um, So tonight, guys, we are beginning our final series of the month, Evil Dead. Um. Evil Dead to me is one of those seminal moments. I think it is for a lot of people. I remember finding Evil Dead in high school and it was a game changer for me, right? Right. What I expected out of horror movies, what I wanted out of my horror movies, the the style and the vibe, the energy of the film are what were remarkable to me, right? It, it felt kind of punk rock down and dirty i think what i like about it more now that i'm older and have seen it so many more times tonight watching it to break down it is so much more bare bones than i'd even remembered um for how much this movie accomplishes there is a lot of times where the camera's just on sticks right just really stationary shots way more because i always equate evil dead with floating flying cameras and dutch angles and wild madness mm -hmm. um they really had to take their shots, and they took a lot of them. I think I'm impressed with what this movie achieves, you know, as kind of an independent horror masterpiece. What, Alex, is your initial take on Evil Dead? I think I saw the first. I thought I saw this movie after I saw Heart of Darkness. Or, sorry, uh, Army of Darkness. Um, which is weird because again, like it was like you needed a palate cleanser for that documentary. I know, right? Uh, yeah, I uh, I saw the I saw Army of Darkness first, and I had like obviously they give you the preamble, which is so tell, telling the story of Ash and all that stuff. But like, I was like, well, I got to go back and watch these other movies now, so I went back and watched the first <laughs> one. And again, it's weird because the like Army of Darkness is so produced, and we'll get to that movie and all that stuff, but. Watching this movie, I had almost the exact same vibe you did, which it is just like this sort of punk rock horror movie, man. Like you just mm -hmm. see this movie is made for, I think, like three hundred fifty to four thousand four hundred thousand dollars. And like you just see the um, 
you see the love. And I think that's the thing we always talk about when we talk about these independent movies that haven't had like big studio budgets or anything like that is like, you see the love in them. That is, that's the thing that you, that's the thing that you kind of gravitate towards. And that's the thing that I really enjoy more than anything about this movie is I see right. how much Sam Raimi loves making this movie and I fucking love watching it. Yes. But I agree. Like this other thing that happened this time. And <laughs> I texted you earlier this week while I was watching the movie and I was like, Hey, is it just me? Or is this like teetering on the edge of being terrible, but never goes that way. Like, like that first, <laughs> the, like the thing that I found most shocking and I didn't remember it very well was the very beginning of this movie. Like they're all driving up and all that stuff. And again, the um, floating camera you're talking about, which is now like a Sam Raimi signature, which is weird, um, is super prevalent still to me. But I agree, like mm-hmm. the locked off stuff and sort of the things that are um, evil deadish, so to speak, are um, I feel like we remember them much more fluidly than they really are. Like there's things. Right. Well, this is also the hard remember. experiment of this is. Evil Dead 2 is somewhat a a polished retake of this movie. Totally. And so I think for a lot of us, it's so hard to separate the two at times. I agree. Right? I mean, my argument was always that I kind of prefer the tone of this one that's actually more of a horror film. Mm -hmm. Whereas Evil Dead 2 just really opens up the chocolate factory for Raimi. And there's a lot more kind of Looney Tunes, Charlie Chaplin bits and... Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's a fucking fantastic. I love the Evil Dead movie. But for me, I was just tonally. It's kind of my aliens versus alien argument. I like alien a little more because it's it's more the tone that I like. Right. Right. It's more horror than action. Um, I think the f- wild thing about this movie, too, is that it's easy to forget that this movie came out in 1981 because mm-hmm. even watching it now, it feels very contemporary to me. Right. In style, because okay, so you listen to movies that are coming out in this year, right? In 1981, you got Halloween 2, The Howling, My Bloody Valentine, Scanners, American Werewolf, uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, uh, The Prowler, things like that, right? This movie feels so much different than what's happening in 1981 to me. I, right? It's funny you bring Where, this up because I was actually yeah. watching that shutter documentary uh, in search of darkness. And I thought the exact same thing because I, I literally just watched it. And I thought the exact mm-hmm. same thing watching this movie is like, this is so different than any other movie that probably was coming out between like 79 and 81 because we were like just hitting the slasher stride really. Mm-hmm. And so this is completely different. It, yeah, it's a fascinating it's fascinating that this movie hit the way it hit. And I wonder why, because yeah. it's so popular and its popularity only grew after it became uh, what it became. Yeah. I mean, in my estimation, this is the movie that gave us a lot of that cabin in the wood genre. Mm-hmm. There are other great cabin in a wood movies before and around the time of evil dead. Right. But I feel like this is the one where all of young people who watched it were like, all we need is a camera and some woods. Yeah. And totally. this is the movie we wanted to make, right? And I think very much like you saw this with Edgar Wright and Shaun of the Dead, I think this was that perfect blend of a filmmaker who loved this stuff and because he loved it so much was able to really milk scene for scene, right? Like a scene that leaps up uh, the screen to me right away is an interesting and different scene is when Ash is playing the eye game with his girlfriend, right? And they mm-hmm. have the little necklace, probably a pretty mundane scene right if this is a friday the 13th movie that's a guy who's like i got you this necklace yeah and then they kiss and you know start fugs in and get murdered right yeah this adds that extra kind of operatic music and they're really playing some style games with the eyes Mm -hmm. and it's it's that milking every scene for any bit of style and coolness because to me i also was introduced to this series through army of darkness not seeing it but I remember as a kid at Thanksgiving, we would always go to one of my relatives' house, and she had older kids, right? I was a young boy, and he was a teenager, right? Uh, my mom's cousin. And I'd walk upstairs and try to peek into his room to see what was cool. Well, one year I walked in, he had this giant Army of Darkness poster above his bed. And it's just this guy, right, this handsome man with, like, a fucking chainsaw hand, and there's demons and swords, and 
the lady's kind of like curled up on his leg like a Frazetta cover. Yeah. And I just remember being like, oh, like I couldn't breathe. I was like, that is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Right. And I became obsessed with I have to be a part of this awesome fucking thing. Right. And so I went and found, you know, Evil Dead. And that's how I, I came to this. And so. I th- that's what I noticed in this one, right? Is that there there is this love letter mentality in this where they never miss a chance to get something cool or fun. Yeah. And the movie does this where it it almost plays now that I'm older is just this series of vignettes over and over again, right? Totally. Um there isn't as much of a narrative through line as just this one man continuing to face various horrors, right? Right. So almost as a filmmaker just taking a shot, like, I like all of these things about horror, so I'll do a blood and gut scene. I'll do a claymation scene. I'll do a demon scene. And that becomes really fun because now it, you, you feel like the rules don't apply anymore. Right. Right? So like the free-flying camera, we're just kind of loose and on the edge of our seat. You don't feel like you're as anchored in, whereas when I watch a Halloween movie – my feet are firmly on the ground. I pretty right. much know 98% of what I can expect. Right. No, I agree. I think that's the that's the really talent. That's the really wonderful and splendid thing about the talent of Sam Raimi is that he does not allow you to ever put your feet on the ground. And again, this movie, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness all like Army of Darkness may be a little less mainly because it is much more studio, but at the same time, um, it's the, it still has the same, it still has the same vibe as evil dead, which is again, like you never know what's really going to happen. Like no one, you get the sense that no one's going to like from the jump, like for me, nothing about it seems safe. And I think that's the thing I like the most about the first evil dead movie is that at no point in the movie, do I think everyone's going to leave the cabin. I assume when they go to the cabin <laughs> and I remember watching it the first time, I'm like, they're all going to die. I don't understand why this even matters. Like this is a dumb movie. I remember thinking to myself, this is a dumb movie because I know they're all going to fucking die. But obviously young change. cynical Alex, <laughs> but like, I'm so fucking smeared. But like, I mean, it starts with this again, the driving down the road and he's not paying attention and it almost swerves off. And then they, they go on this bridge, just like, hey, there's a weight limit to this bridge, and they almost all die going on the bridge. And there's that great – it's such a, like, great, like, oh, we need this shot in a movie like this, which is when Ash opens the car door to see, like, to look down into the ravine. Like, it's one of those scenes yeah. in a movie where I'm like, you don't need that shot. But because it's Bruce Campbell and because it's his face, you have to have that shot because Bruce Campbell's face is that expressive. So you just get that shot anyways. Yeah, and that's the thing. This movie is actually somewhat full of film school experiments. Totally, totally. But really milked to their maximum effect, right? The scene when they arrive, they first arrive at the cabin. They're just at a cabin. They add an ominous nature to the scene by boom, boom, boom. This, the porch swing is hitting the door, right? We've already seen the phantom cam, which the phantom cam opening to me is where this movie separates. Totally. Because now we're flying. There's an om- om- ominous presence following us everywhere, right? Uh, in the car, mm-hmm. he's like, ah, jerk the fucking wheel out of my hand, blah, blah, blah. Yep. All this, right? So when we get that cabin plays essentially as the same scene in King Kong, right? Is boom, 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 summoning King Kong to Fay Ray. And it's literally just them showing up at an Airbnb in today's terms for the kids, right? You know, like a one-star Airbnb. They show up, but that's what I mean. Boom, boom, boom. It reminds me of being in film school and, like, watch how Hitchcock uses this device, right? And, like, watching the scene. Right. And then you're like, I can use that. And you would go out and make a short film and immediately use that technique and be like, ah, I am Hitchcock. And so, but what he does, right? Boom, boom, boom. And as they get to the front door to unlock it, the swing stops. So simple, but so wildly effective at setting up this dangerous, unnatural tone. Because the movie does this a couple times where it uses that metronome effect of a sound, a clock, right? This and that. And then it stops Mm -hmm. or inverts. And we get this, we're like in dread because we know the camera's fucking flying around and any fucking thing can happen. Right. And that is the... 
the cool thing is that again it's young inexperienced filmmakers just fucking going for it but i think these moments these small moments show you that they really did understand what they were doing right because i was watching it and i was with you there's a world where this movie doesn't quite deliver on the effects or the voices of the zombies the gore this movie could have gone really wrong oh totally and you just see all these people disappear yeah, I mean, but there is a magic in how how they really find a way in every scene, no matter how bad the lighting is or these things that, you know, people get caught up on here and there. Um, they just find a way to always make it as fun and cool as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the name of the game for a movie that costs this much to make is. What you're watching is a guy who's at the very beginning of his career using all the all the capabilities he has as a filmmaker. All of his powers are at his disposal with such little money that he has to make everything work. And I think that's the thing that makes The Evil Dead so great is that when you get to watch a movie like this, you see the pieces that all fall into place. And yes, you're right. Everything could go horribly wrong. And based on the experience many actors had and many of the crew members had, a lot of things did go horribly wrong. But we would well, never... Well, there is that rumor that uh, Raimi himself went back in the woods after filming and burnt that fucking cabin down. Because <laughs> yeah, he yeah, thought like, it was like a place of evil. <laughs> but that's exactly what, like... That's the thing that I love the most about this movie is it does such a good job, and I do think it has a lot to do with the camera work is the movie does such a good job of not giving you man you put it so well very like not giving you any stable ground to stand on like not just it's not just the fluid cam like the steady cam stuff that goes over the swamp in the very beginning it's also uh like the really fast like the whip pans the quick stuff the dutch angles like nothing feels correct throughout the movie and especially like right well they start you at that start when the ford truck's coming you get a dutch angle right away and you're like yeah. okay right but, like, you know, something like around this era, like, uh, oh, God, what's that? The Others, right? Or mm-hmm. no, The Changeling, right? Changeling. The George C. Scott. That has a car crash. That's where you pull back and get the wide, like, it's coming. But Raimi takes you right in underneath. Right. Ah, so it looks monstrous. I think right. what's weird, though, because you bring this up, the whip pans and the Dutch angles. There is a sequence, right? Uh, like where Ash, Ash is having his assault on reality scene, right? The camera does that awesome, like, up and over. We push in really close on that beautiful Bruce Campbell palette, right? That face. Uh, This is where we get the clock spinning. Goo, 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 goo. You know, all these weird angles. That kind of is limited to that scene, right? Mm -hmm. A scene that struck me in its stillness was when he takes uh, his girlfriend out to bury her for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. She wakes up. He has to bash her with a log. Then get the shovel, smack her in the face a bunch with that. Then as he's on his back and she leaps, cuts her head off. Her head is cackling as the blood is splooging all over his face from the neck wound. And the body's kind of climbing slash humping his leg. Almost every single shot in that sequence is a tripod shot. It's a very set, stagnant shot just with wild chaotic action happening and again this is one of those hard low budget indie filmmaking things got to make sure you get it maybe it's this and that you don't have enough crew whatever what i think is so cool is because he takes his wild shots stylistically in other moments yeah your mind does the work of making that sequence seem more feverish I agree. Then it truly is. That's something that really leapt out at me today. I think that's really something that that's the kind of thing that this movie does so well is the things that should be the things that conventionally would be shot wildly like that kind of stuff. Like literally any kind of any kind of action in the frame, I would say. Like I would go to like Cheryl's possession scene, which is my opinion is not shot mm-hmm. that particularly crazy, but she herself like he's giving the actors and the scene and the effects and everything it's room to do its job so that the things that aren't interesting and or wouldn't appear interesting regularly are that much more heightened in reality and i think that's what makes this movie even more terrifying is that 
we are spending the entire 85 minutes of this movie curious what is real and what is not. And I think that's the thing that I like the most. And that's the reason you gravitate towards Ash because not just because he ends up being the only one to survive, but like also Ash <laughs> is the only one who Ash is the only one who I, a lot of the, and this is the first time I really noticed this in the movie. Ash to me is the only one who I feel like is actually like, all right, we fucked up. So, uh, we got to fix this, like, or not even fix it, but he's like, I, we got to take care of something like the wherewithal to go out and bury your girlfriend. That takes like that. I don't know. Like if you're traumatized, I'm not sure you'd have the, <laughs> I'm not sure you'd have the capabilities to do that. But I love that Ash Williams from the first jump in this movie is like, well, we got to do something. So I'm going to go bury her. Cause that's the right thing to do. I, I would, I personally would not have that mental cap, cap capacity at all, at all. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the funny things, but again, this gets back to Raimi knowing when to take a shot. You said it best, right? I know I've got a pencil being wiggled in an ankle, and that's going to make people squirm. The audience's head and eyes will be moving so the camera can be still, right? right. Whereas when Ash is giving her that necklace, let's do the cutie game with the eyes. You style there. When Ash is alone in the living room, that's when we'll get wild with our style. Mm-hmm. It almost is bringing us uncomfortably close and intimate with Ash, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Again, it's adding something in those in-between scenes, knowing that the gore will handle itself. But there is this just rushing us into him. We're constantly running to his face. It makes you feel as a viewer like whenever something bad happens, we're running to Ash's arms, right? Like, he'll wrap his arms around us. Totally. It'll be fine. It's really fun. What I found really cool about this one, too, is – going back because ash has become an iconic character now right yeah uh our final boy who has become this he got a tv show um at one point he was gonna fight freddie and jason he was gonna fight pinhead um ash became such a beloved institution chainsaw handman whatever army of darkness poster which just blew all of our little minds of course it was funny to go back and when this shit first started popping off he couldn't move. He was stunned and horrified. Yeah. And uh, not funny laughing at his own joke guy who may or may not be related to Sean Penn and his brother. Uh, he's the one who had to grab the axe and handle. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's wild to go back and see Ash's, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I'm just a good guy. Just wanted to buy a necklace and be sweet. Right. To where we think of him now, which is just this. He is a a never tiring fighter of the undead and all that is evil. Right. It was really cool to go back. And there's a universe where you're like, maybe he wasn't supposed to be the guy. And then they got there and started filming and they're like, oh, he's the guy. Well, you got to use him. I mean, (laughs) I I think that's completely plausible because also, I mean, they give him. He has a majority of the dialogue. He's also the one. It's interesting, too, because on this viewing, I noticed how much I absolutely hated Scott, like more than anything, hated that guy. Like, I was just <laughs> like, like, I've never really paid attention because like probably the first time I watched, I was like, I remember watching this the first time being like, wow, Bruce Campbell, very toned down in this movie. And obviously, you know, that was after I had seen Army of Darkness. But watching this movie again i was like god i just want scott to die so badly and not come back just be done <laughs> like that's like <laughs> that's like the crazy thing about this movie is well we it's weird because to... i was like i don't i don't it's weird because this movie has so many things that i think shouldn't work and shockingly totally. do oh yeah because Characters that I don't relate to at all, nor do I care about them living or dying, shouldn't work, right? It shouldn't matter to me what happens, and then I should be less connected as an audience member and less engaged in the outcome, right? In a way, them all being these kind of hollow stereotypes Mm -hmm. makes them perfect vessels for possession. Yeah, probably. So it's almost as if they're just waiting to be filled up by something else. I mean, I'll tell you this, and this is going to be a controversial opinion. There's absolutely no way that demonically possessed trees should be able to rape a girl in a movie and us all be like, whoa, crazy. We should all have been like, that is fucking stupid as hell. But it is so captivating (laughs) within the context of the movie that you can't 
you can't not be not it's not even a matter of like being disgusted or being terrified or anything like that like you are just so engrossed in the fact that this is happening and you've never seen something like that before and not only that it happens in a movie right. of this quality and of this budget this is the that to me is like the great part about low budget indies is you make do with what you have and you're like all right i'm in the woods so what do i do how do i do things that aren't just like typical would, possession yeah that's a mind blow. Well, that was like one of the scenes because this was I told me and my friends had that classic group of teens that liked horror movies where it's like you find one and you're like, holy fuck, I can't wait to show this to the guys like they'll never believe it. Right. The tree scene is definitely one of those scenes where I remember is so uncomfortable and and horrifying to me. The oh, yeah. strange thing I pinned today, like why it really horrified me. Right. It's one of the only times I've ever seen because there there are a lot of movies that show sexual assault and this and that. Mm -hmm. And you see this depraved monster on the other side trying to, you know, force down a girl or something. Right. The the using of the trees and vine is so additionally horrifying. And when the vine pulled her shirt open and exposed her, it's like why you don't have eyeballs yeah you're a why? tree it's just so it's like degrade. there's this extra yeah and that's why because there's no sweaty horrifying monster right mm -hmm. there's no s evil guy on the other side here like oh it's a power game he's getting gratification i understand his uh damage why he's a broken being when it's just the trees, it's just something that happens because yeah, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And mm -hmm. it just, it, it makes you so afraid of the whole environment, right? Like that. I don't know. There was something about the, the facelessness of the trees that just, yeah. well, it's still a horrifying scene to me. Every time I watch it, it's right. like, Oh yeah. It's, it's cringy. It's totally cringy. And I think that's the thing that's most impressive about it is at no point in at no point in my personal history should I have been like, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like, I should have turned the movie off and been like, I'm never fucking watching that movie again. But, like, you're captivated because specifically the facelessness of the horror at hand. And then you get even further into that. And, yes, there is no big monster or anything like that. Like, we are the monsters. Like, it could happen to any one of us. Like... What's fascinating to me is like the title of the evil dead is wonderful because it tells you the things you need to know, but it is also kind of misleading because the evil dead are the ones that are evil, but we are the ones who cause the, like we're the ones who cause it. And I think when the you're evil living, when you're faced with, <laughs> when you're faced with someone who is your lover, is your friend, is your person, anybody that you have to not only extricate, like, that part of their personality, but realize that they're trying to actually kill you. Like that to me is an exceptional mind blower for this movie, because that means the horror is home. It's not necessarily an exterior force yeah. altogether. You can't see this force come after you. Like when Cheryl's hand is possessed while she's drawing, like you can't see that come into your room. You just feel it when it's there. It's too late. That's well, the, that's scary the other thing is she gets, she gets invaded twice. Yes. Right. Like there's her being. Being taken over twice is something weird is going on. Like maybe she they're exploiting the loneliness. Right. She's kind of the fifth wheel in this. But it's just that's what I mean. It's just this extra layer of creepiness. And one of the things, the phantom camera and the trees and the hand making her draw the book, all of these things are illustrating again that. It's one of those things I think that I always space out on. I'm like, yeah, of course, they played the ritual, right? They found a, a book of skin and blood drawings and a knife and a tape recorder, and they just played that shit like idiots. Right. And when she said stop because she's already felt it's evil, they kept playing it. Of course, that's when it started. There are at least three moments before that, three or four moments, right? We see, yeah, the damn thing jerked out, the wheel jerked out of my hand. She starts being possessed and drawing the book. The cellar door explodes open. Yeah. So what we can tell is that this is already here. The environment is already tainted with evil. And then that is, again, manifested by the trees. Right. And then when she says they won't let us go, that has a really sadistic double 
meaning to what she just experienced. And by the time you see that bridge all curled up, it feels like we're no longer in a reality that we could contemplate anymore. Right. And based on what we've just seen, any fucking thing could happen for the rest of this movie. Exactly. I think that the uncertainty is what makes the evil dead that much more terrifying. And that's what, that's what makes the movie work. Despite any limitations it might have, it's the uncertainty of being alone in the woods in Tennessee and having no fucking idea what the attacker looks like. Like when we talk about Halloween, when we talk about Friday the 13th and even Freddy Krueger to that, for that matter, there's still, you know, the shape. I mean, he still has a name, even though we don't know it's Michael Myers. He's still the shape. We know where he comes from. We know how he arrives. We know how he gets around. Freddy Krueger's the same way. Jason Voorhees the same way. The demonic spirits of the evil dead are they're listless. They're ethereal. It's impossible to prevent them. All you can do is hope that you are strong enough to hold them off, which, you know, we get into in the second one and the third one. But that to me is what makes this movie exceptionally terrifying more than any other of the series and more than any other than we might have watched this month, besides maybe Candy, the first Candyman. But like not being able to see not being able to see and not being able to harness what's going to happen to you is the truly terrifying thing about that, I think. Right. Well, I mean, the professor says it, right? Like, it may lay dormant, but it's never gone or dead, right? Right. So you can just show up and you're already fucked, right? Um, there are so many things about this movie that always haunted me, right? Um, the one most is Ash's girlfriend. I think her name's Cheryl, right? Is that Cheryl's character? Yeah. I'm really bad with character. Uh, Linda. Linda's the but girlfriend. Linda, right? So he comes back in, right? They've dragged uh, the body out to the woods, him and his uh, his buddy. They come back in, and Ash walks past camera, and all of a sudden, Linda's sitting there cross-legged, and that fucking smile, she's like a demented China doll. Oh, yeah, man. Her smile and giggle absolutely rented space just own property in my oh, yeah. nightmares this, it's right it's right for here. a long exactly time after seeing that i mean it's still there. yeah because like, the other zombie those... in the basement just that's you're like all right that's like a, an evil thing that's it her laughing and giggling and just kind of the way they play in torment there's even the scene when she stabs ash with the bone knife and just like licks the blood like <laughs> Oh man, it's one of those. She all is man. to me of everything in the movie. She's the one that scared me the most. Right, the tree scene always makes my skin crawl and makes me feel like something's about to grab me. Mm-hmm. But she is the truly scariest thing in the right. film. To me. I mean, I think anything that I think any movie, especially horror movies, only horror movies. I don't want to say in any movie, but like only horror movies have the exception of when you change the tone. Like when you change the tone of of the evil in the movie to the point where they're laughing or having anything other than malevolent thoughts towards you, that truly is the terror. Like that to me is always the scary part. And I agree. Like, like it's Cheryl, right? Cheryl gets Cheryl's locked on a casino now. Like now we have now now I'm remembering the names of these people and I have absolutely like look the sister. I mean that's the funny. I've seen this movie probably thirty to forty times. Right. None of the character names matter except for this first time is the only time I've actually noted the character names. So now like Cheryl's the sister, Linda's the girlfriend, Scott is the other friend. And I have no idea who his girlfriend's name is, but like that is, but that to me is the scarier (laughs) part is like, yeah, like her literally peeking up from like, that's fucking terrifying and always will be rented space in my brain. But like when you have that switch of, it's not just demonic evil. It's like playful evil. Holy shit, man. There's never going to be a time where that does not terrify me on multiple levels. Well, yeah, because why it works is like we all understand on a genetic human level, right? It's why we made weapons. It's why we wanted fire, right? That's why we stayed in a community. We all understand that feeling of here I am. What's that in the tree line? Oh, God, that's teeth. It wants to eat me to survive, right? Like on a genetic level, all of our sphincters titan as soon as we imagine becoming prey right right? we get that that is how jason and michael and a lot of these movies operate right Mm -hmm. serial killer movies there is something 
different. It hits not on like that kind of genetic mammal level, but on that, that elevated psychological level of, oh, I'm just here to play with food. Like I'm eternal. Um, I control this uh, bowl of cloud that keeps filling with, you know, clouds. I'm in control of that stuff, right? The cartoon lightning, that's me. Right. Um, I got nothing but time, man. Let's play. You want to hit me with a shovel? Cool. I'll get back up and laugh in your face. Right. The playing with your food aspect to me is always the most horrifying thing in films, right? Like even something like I hear people always mention, right? My wife, a lot of people always say, uh, the Strangers, right? The 2008 Liv Tyler movie. That is one of the scariest movies they've ever seen. And they always say it's scary to me because it could happen, right? The famous line, uh, why us? You answered the door. You were home. I think what they're missing is that what is so scary about that film is not just you were home and we came in and had at you, but those strangers are just playing with them, yeah. right? There is no impetus. The amount of time they have to spend, which room are they in? Where are they at? They're not trying to pound down the door. That's never as scary as silence, not knowing where they are. Oh, fuck. Now we're playing cat and mouse. Right. And Evil Dead does a fantastic job of that. There's constantly like, oh, I think it's good. Rah! And someone fucking, you know, jumps right. out. It's, I mean, in the, it's yeah, I mean, that goes that back to work. the lack of safety you feel as a viewer in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, it's always going to be the thing that makes the the uh, Evil Dead trilogy that much more terrifying is that there is no safety. Even in the one that's the most studio, the most played out, there is still something so horrendously weird about it that you can't anticipate it. And again, because yeah. this evil is ethereal and can enter you any way, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to touch you. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It literally can just be a fog, a mist, it can be unseeable. That is the true terror is like literally anybody can turn around at any moment and all of a sudden be possessed. That's the thing I love the most about these movies is like, I might know what it means. I might know the visual cue. Like anytime you see the back of somebody's head and they're talking in some, they're talking to themselves or they're saying something <laughs> kind of, you know, you know, saying something kind of jinky in, uh, away from the camera, you're like, it's going to happen right now. And every time it gets me, it doesn't matter when it happens. Every time I'm just like, yeah. oh, there it is. Because it's just, that's the kind of fucking movie it is. That's the kind of movie it, that's the kind of movie it is because it plays with your expectations in that you don't know what to expect. But also another thing it does too, is again, this gets back to Sam Raimi as an absolute fan of this stuff, like the love of this film. And again, I think that's why punk rock is a, admittedly inferior version of music right it is essentially people strangling music to death for their own benefit sure right like punk rock musicians are the tree and music is the the hapless victim in the right. woods right that's what punk rock is by its own admission sure. what it is is passion right that the old punk rock quote is uh i have so much i want to say and i won't let lack of talent stop right. that or quiet my voice that's great man the, the love of this is what I think is cool because not only is it just, oh, I know the cue of what's happening, but you get a sense when you're watching this movie that when they turn around, you know it's going to be bad, but you don't know how. Right. Totally. Right? So you get your, your ankle stab. You get your – there's so many – like a scene that is just like the pure power move, right, is when um Scott is fighting his girlfriend – and he takes a hack at her hand, right? With his Rambo knife, I guess he had on his belt loop, right? And if he lived old enough, that would eventually become the pager and then the flip phone holster. Like, that's how that guy grew up. <laughs> um, He takes a hack at her hand and she kind of, you know, looks and then proceeds to chew her own fucking hand off. Because all of us, we see the knife. We're like, he's going to cut her hand off. I don't think anyone watching that for the first time expected the possessed to then say, oh, I'll eat my own hand off. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like, what the fuck? And that those moments uh, are just so fucking cool, man. Um, this movie has, what's your favorite effect in the film? Do you have like a favorite 
a favorite moment of horror in the I, film. Not even horror, but like effects. Work. I mean, for really me, cool. it's the I mean, it's the trees. Like that is the most terrifying thing ever. Like it's just true. And like to be honest with you, it's a great. You put it so well at the very beginning. Like this, it could have gone wrong a million different ways. Like you could see. You could see exposed wire. You could see anything. You could see someone's hand like going through, like even like an ET. There's a scene when the kids are riding uh, down the hill, and you see the kid. You see, fucking uh, the kid beef it on his bike. Like clearly that was a bad take, yeah. and he's still they, this. This <laughs> doesn't even have that. Like there's something about between cuts. ET were elevated his ass back up. It's <laughs> right. fine. We all know it's moving. But magic. like this is that kind of thing where such care was taken to making sure and like the there might have been scenes where you did see it but like such care was taken to making this seem for lack of a better word natural <laughs> even though it's completely unnatural trees don't do that generally yeah i was gonna say i i <laughs> okay i don't know how else to put it to be honest with you but like yeah it is horrifying because it's nature it's a symbol it's nature it's growth and it's doing the exact opposite yeah. of what it should do like that will always be like, that's going to be the one that sticks with me always for sure. Yeah. What about you? It is weird. Cause I, I wouldn't say it's natural. Cause I always feel like I'm trapped in the cabin, mm -hmm. even though there's things like clearly they have one giant spotlight lighting the woods. Yeah. So everything is very, uh, you know, surreal and all that. Um, for me, the scene that I always think is the coolest and it always catches me by surprise. I always forget it's coming. Is at the end, right? So the the zombies have been nullified. Mm -hmm. Ash has thrown the the Necrocomicon into the fire. Right. Um, I love the scene where the Necrocomicon licks its lips, and we see the the lady zombie do it too. Yeah. And you're like, oh fuck! The book was the puppet master, not the floating spirit. Uh, kind of a cool little extra beat, right? But the moment for me, are when the giant demon hands explode out of the corpses. Yeah, that's and it's just a yeah. oh, you're like what next level? So now it's not the book or the flying cloud, like we're straight in a portal to hell. Yeah. And when those giant the giant hands erupt out and are just like looking for anything else to pull into their hell dimension, every single time I see that, I'm just fucking yeah. punk rock in my living room. I love we'll it. We'll get to my, I'll say this when we do, uh, tomorrow, when we do evil dead Two, I'll get to my all time favorite evil dead, uh, gag, which is just like, <laughs> it's so nonsensical, but it is my all time favorite gag. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think also I'm, I must say I was super into the use of claymation. Yes. Cause that's another one of those where you're like, it has it. It's it's an argument I have with myself because you're like it hasn't aged well, but I love it so. Right. It has aged well, I right? Mean, Is that that's like one of those weird? I feel, I feel like if that's too slick, right? Like if it's too CG'd and this and mm -hmm. that. To me, I don't know. I I kind of dig well, it. To me, claymation's one of those things where it's, it's the forefather of the era we're in now. Like again, they almost did claymation on Jurassic Park. So like, you have no. Before, I mean, it was literally like Harryhausen and then nothing. Like, before we had computers, <laughs> this is what we did. So there's nothing about it that to me feels, I mean, aged well is hard to say because, like, it was the only thing that they had for decades. Like, the one that... But also, like, I just, it's so ingrained in my heart. Yeah. Like, maybe it's not aged well, but I still well, love it. I mean, I'll give you... I like, would love to hear, like, let's say a 16-year-old kid is watching it in the garage and they see that claymation right now today, having lived in the streaming era and everything mm -hmm. is so slick and computer animated. Do they go, what the fuck? Well, like, or are they like us? They're like, yes. Well, like I think of the, the, the litmus test for me for young people liking claymation is RoboCop because the very end, that's so not the guy that gets thrown out of the window. <laughs> when when uh, the CEO the, turns into Slenderman. The Man. longest arms ever, and you're like, that's clearly not him. Like, that to me is the litmus test. And there's people who still but, find RoboCop and love it. Like, I don't think – it's not necessarily that it has it's an about well. even it's claymation. It's, it's wonderfully nostalgic. That's what it is. In the best way possible. I think maybe what I'm trying to say is that it has – it's one of those – again, it's another thing. Because I think this movie became so iconic – 
and so imitated mm-hmm. that I think this is another of those examples. They had to have had other ways to do that, right? That would have been less painstaking because especially in a low budget indie film without a lot of resource, yeah. claymation feels like an irresponsible decision almost. <laughs> does seem like a lot but of this money. This is one more chance where Sam Raimi says, I think this is cool and I must love this for some reason. Right. Let's do And it's another iconic and unusual choice, mm-hmm. especially for 1981. Well, well, that's the other thing too. I'm like, always stunned because this feels like a movie that came out much later to me. Well, like the other thing too that you have to, that I think about when thinking about claymation, especially from the 1980s is all of those guys grew up on Harryhausen movies. So doing that mm-hmm. is like us watching it's like us watching any of the movies we grew up on now. Like it's us watching like slasher movies and using those same tropes there. Like it's us loving Carol corn syrup and loving the way fake blood looks in movies like Friday the 13th <laughs> and uh, Freddy, you know, it's the same vibe. So when you yeah. grow up on Ray Harryhausen movies, of course the first thing you're going to think of is like, man, it'd be so cool to get some goofy claymation in here because you look at it and obviously that shit's not real. You knew it when you were a kid, but it was real enough for you. So to me, it's the same thing. Like it's almost honoring your forefathers when you when you do when you're when Sam Raimi is using claymation in this movie, it's honoring the past. It's honoring where he came from. Or what came first, yeah. not from, sorry. Yeah, it's just I think that's what I love. I just I love that it is because again, it it's a a horror movie that has a faceless villain, right? Who then just becomes all of us, and I'm not going to lie, I don't, I don't think the possessed makeup is particularly good in this film. No. Um, it has no true characters of note, right? Even Ash, who we seemingly like by the end, doesn't really have much character that develops in this film. Right. Um, it's just one of those, and it, it, there's not really, kids go to a cabin in the wood and play a spell that awakens an ancient evil that technically is already awakened. That's it. So the whole movie's narrative is essentially an elevator pitch. Right. But I think what makes, but because of, yeah, but because of style and love, this series of just vignettes and this guy who's like, I know I can make this a memorable, iconic moment. Mm -hmm. Right. This is that Robert McKee story thing. Right. They won't remember why a carrot what the character's motivation was in act three because of that thing on page seven everyone's going to remember those couple big movie moments and to achieve those you have to lay some groundwork but though that's what they remember and i feel like sam raimi just is like i'm doing a greatest hits album yeah right and this is just going to be all shit that i know i can make it's sam raimi and it works it absolutely works and i feel like it should everything (laughs) that he knows he can do to make a fucking badass movie and that's what the evil dead is I think that's you hit the nail on the head. I think that's exactly what it is. It's a greatest hits album of everything Sam Raimi at that point had learned to do in filmmaking. And I think that's why Sam, I mean, and obviously this is his first movie, like Sam Raimi continued to be a great filmmaker. We've talked about more than one Sam Raimi movie on this podcast. And I think moving forward, that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of thing you want from people and particularly people who are making horror movies is that level of inventiveness, but also that level of dedication to saying like, listen, I know what's at my disposal. I'm using it all and it's all going to be awesome. I I love that. And that's why I love the evil dead. Well, especially in horror movies, I feel like we get so many, and I'm sure this is not like a horror movie genre exclusive, but I feel like we get so many movies where it's just like, here's a monster. Here's some beautiful teenagers. Right. Uh, have them go at and you just watch it and it's just this it's a horror exercise and you can tell that there's no real love for it it's just like we're making a horror movie because these sell and when you see these ones that come through and they just again it reminds me of you know when you watch Suspiria or Black Swan or this and that there are movies I watch that I describe it's it's almost as if there's electric electricity in the air when I watch them right there is this extra aura you know, that comes from this perfect alchemy of really caring and wild inventiveness. And it just it makes it it's again, no money, no recognizable actors, uh, first timers. 
you know, little to no script, I'm assuming, <laughs> you know, and they just it all works yeah. like this was a recipe for disaster. I mean, it's and it becomes one of the great success stories yeah. for independent filmmakers. And you know and love film go out and do your version of that and this this has become an empire evil dead this little movie in 1981 could have been just another in the deluge of movies that were lost and now are kind of coming back in the streaming era this could have been one of those so fucking easy but it just has these extra bits of magic that make it yeah. stand out, and it was almost ahead of the curve for so many of its contemporaries. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a it's the prime example, I think, of making a meal out of a morsel. Like, there's absolutely no better way for me to describe it than Sam Raimi saying, I have an idea, and going out and shooting the idea. Like, whatever the script was, great. Yeah. But this movie becomes so much more than a script so quickly, and that's what makes the Evil Dead memorable. That's it, guys, for The Evil Dead. Not really. We have three more adventures. Uh, Alex has two because he don't like gory, bloody stuff. And The Evil Dead remake is one of the most horrifying examples of carnage ever. So we're going to spare Alex that. (laughs) But um, tomorrow, we're going to find out what happens when the little filmmaker that could gets invited to the club. Right? Gets that money. Gets that, uh, that budget. And kind of loose kind of remakes the movie but also not exactly re- we'll, get we'll get to, to that, that tomorrow so tomorrow evil dead 2 i would say probably one of the greatest horror films ever made um thank you so much guys for spending all this time with us thank you thank you, thank you. it means the world to us please share us on your socials so more people can join get that big push uh here before the end of the month Please take a second and leave us a rating and review. That means the world to us. Thank you to those who have, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts app, Apple Podcasts, five-star rating and review. Um, email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with your movie selections for uh, December Stuff Your Stocking Month. Um, and get at us on all your socials, guys. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you tomorrow for Evil Dead 2. <laughs> yeah, too. I'm a, uh, uh, uh.